Are you tired of Volodymyr Zelensky begging the world for money? Have the colors yellow and blue just become stale and stagnant on your social media page? Do you have virtue signaling fatigue? If you've grown bored of the Ukraine war, don't worry. The military-industrial complex has something special for all the virtue signalers on the left and right. Raytheon and Lockheed Martin present The Carpet Bombing of Gaza. In this brand new conflict, you get to choose who the good guys and bad guys are. Change your profile picture today to show the world which side you are on. Welcome back to another motherfucking episode of Kill the Mockingbirds with your host, Sean Chris. Let's get all that housekeeping out in front. Go to killthemockingbirds.com for the podcast, for Sean Chris music, and of course, check out the disinformation section where we have different papers and studies and sometimes bills and things that are real evidence that you could show people and some of these arguments that we have and topics that we bring up also don't forget you can go on apple spotify and leave a five-star review we definitely appreciate all the five-star reviews we get and you know what we're gonna read a couple like we always do here's one from yeah i did my people awesome show gentlemen i drive for ups for a living and i got you guys in my headphones all the time keep them coming much love from kentucky well appreciate that man and uh you are also our people man like we love anybody that is a critical thinker and that is not only sharing the show and listening to the show daily but uh takes the time to give us a five star review appreciate that now we got another one from jra4776 titled just five stars cryptids cryptids of the corn sent me and i love the show definitely recommend we we appreciate that jr and uh we also appreciate cryptids of the corn great podcast if you do not know and you haven't checked them out you definitely should cryptids corn one of the best for me on you know science and uh breaking down cryptids got another one from mr jones for appreciation started listening a few months ago my eyes have been open to more things that i was previously unaware of thank you guys for the info slash knowledge on these subjects keep it going definitely will man we appreciate you we got jonathan dale i gotta say i was shocked at some misinformation in this episode that weird book that was super graphic is not for second graders the book is clearly labeled as young adults and jonathan you are absolutely right uh, we get things wrong on this show. I get things wrong on this show sometimes. And when you call us out, we will acknowledge it and kind of move forward and like do better research. Sometimes things slip through the cracks. Uh, no real excuses, but just uh, thanks for calling us out and calling it like it is. Wanted to read an email from Ingrid. It's titled, Y'all are in so much trouble. Just kidding. I wanted to drop y'all a note and tell y'all how much I love the pod and the music. It took me a while for y'all to grow on me, but y'all did, and now I'm in love. Thank you for the awesome content and music. Have a beautiful and blessed day. Love, Ingrid from the Third Coast in Texas, as in the Gulf Coast. 
You too, Ingrid. Have a beautiful and blessed day yourself. We appreciate the support and glad that we can win you over. And the last one I got, it's uh, from Daniel, and he wrote in from the website. He goes, you guys are awesome. Appreciate what y'all do. I'm having issues finding the Ginger Snaps episode on curse words. Was that episode taken down? Well, Daniel, um, I didn't answer your email directly yet, but I thought I would do it on the air. And then it also gives me an opportunity to really break down a little bit more. Unfortunately, Joel Thomas had to step away from the podcast for a while. And uh, he's got a bunch of projects he's working on, you know. Uh, so he kind of stepped away. Ginger Snaps is his baby. He's, I think he might be reworking it. I'm not sure if he's ever going to put it back out again. I would say yeah, because it's a great show. So I would assume he would. But I can't answer that at this moment. But... You know, Joel has to step away from the show and uh, we want to show show him some love and respect. Uh, we appreciate his time here, man. He's It was uh, countless hours, man. Not just research, but a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff you guys don't see, so it's much appreciated. I mean, you guys won't be able to hear him all the time. I mean, I, me and him will still be having conversations and stuff like that, but for right now, he's going to step away from the show to focus on other projects, you know, music and stuff. And if you're not, if you're not already... Go to Vantessa Music on Instagram. Show Joel some love. Give him a follow. And uh, support his music. Joel Thomas on all streaming platforms. I mean, he's got some great work out there. You should definitely check it out and show some love. With that being said, I think it's time to get into the show. Days now, I still haven't weighed in on Israel-Palestine. I honestly don't know who to post. Usually it's easy. BLM, bang. Ukraine, bang. COVID, bang. Hey, did you do your Israel-Palestine post yet? I've never missed a stand. So who'd you go with? I look at my phone, I see a lot of Republicans supporting Israel. So I go, maybe stay away from that. Then I see a lot of the people we've been calling Nazis supporting Palestine. But then get this, the people that we've been calling them Nazis with are happy Israel's getting attacked. Riddle me that. But there really is no easy answer here. That's literally what I was saying, man. Because uh, normally it's pretty easy. I just want to post one of the flags and sort of be done with it. It's, I'm getting yelled at if I post Palestine. I'm getting yelled at if I post Israel. Obviously, I was at the front lines of getting mad at Kanye West when he was doing the anti-Semitism stuff. Everyone was thanking me for standing up for the Jewish community. So naturally, I'm seeing this happen. I go, okay, we're back with the Jews again. I see Kylie Jenner post for Israel. I think, okay, the word's in. Then boom, she's getting killed on every angle. So it's not Israel. So I started doing a bit more research. I'm seeing queers for Palestine. And generally, you want to be on the side of the queers. If you look at the things, you're not going to get in trouble if you go with what the queers are saying. And Mia Khalifa, who we obviously support, is posting with the queers. And she's getting fired from her job. The whole reason I'm posting this is to get in better standing with my job. And by the way, I started to see that your silence is noted post popping up, so we're running out of fucking time here. If you had to pick, I would stay out of it like I told you. Feels like we like decolonizing. What, what is decolonizing? Is that just like killing the people? I know to you, it might be like, oh, who cares what he thinks? A buddy of mine booked a Geico commercial from his Ukraine TikTok, so it happens. So that was Ryan Long, man. I thought that was. The best way to describe and kick off this episode, a little lightheartedness. I'm sure most, most of you have now already heard everything that has happened in Israel and with Palestine and the Gaza Strip. I'm going to show a little refresher. Here's uh, France 24 on the 9-11 plot unfold with Neo Osama. It's uh, behind H Hamas's attack on Israel. 
This is one of the only known photos of Mohammed Daef. It dates from 1989 when he was 24 years old, years before he became Hamas's military mastermind. He lives in hiding in Gaza. His face hasn't been seen publicly in years. But according to Israeli reports, he's been heard. Speaking about the weekend attacks on Israel in this video released by Hamas. Daef has led Hamas's military wing, the Al-Qassam Brigades, for two decades. As seen in this 2003 report by French TV network France Télévisions, he was already in hiding. Mohamed Daef, the chef militaire du Hamas. We, the fighters of the Al-Qassam Brigades, confirmed there will be no negotiations with Israel or the U.S. Even before he commanded the brigades, JF led a wave of suicide bombings that killed dozens of Israelis. Then, under his leadership, Hamas switched its primary tactic to cross-border rocket attacks from Gaza. Now, JF has escalated these indiscriminate attacks into a multi-pronged assault, directly targeting Israeli civilians in their own homes. They were at an impasse. They saw that their old methods weren't working. And they also realized that by doing this, they'd succeed in creating terror, creating a huge psychological effect. Over the years, Daef has survived multiple attempts on his life. Very gravely wounded in uh, previous Israeli assassination attempts uh, from 2001 onwards. Uh, there are reports that he has lost an eye. There are reports that he has lost uh, at least one limb. Earlier this week, Israeli airstrikes hit Mohammed Daef's family home, reportedly killing several of his immediate relatives. Daef's exact location is unknown. So they have no pictures of him except a picture from the 80s and he has a missing eye and a missing leg. To me, it already kind of threw a lot off and I understand that some people will not like uh, maybe my point of view on some of the things that we have to talk to today, but it's not necessarily just about what's going on in Israel and uh, the Gaza Strip. But here's another clip uh, just to kind of show what the news was talking about when they were talking about this attack and you see a lot of comparisons to 9-11, which I thought was interesting because there is some parallels that kind of connect with 9-11, not necessarily if it's a false flag, because I think the way things are done now are a lot different. You know, we don't always have to have something coordinated. Maybe they knew this was going to happen similar to like Maui where it's 20 years of, you know, dead, dead vegetation and, and, and poor upkeep on power lines and things of that nature that it's inevitable. And I feel like this is another thing that was just like pushed around and hoping it would happen because then they can have a conflict and what I'll get into a little bit later, uh, where I think it's going, but here's them kind of comparing it to nine 11. This is our obligation, our first obligation to fight back and to make sure Hamas will never have the ability to act against Israelis. Ambassador Tsipi Hotovli, how are you at responding to the fact that this is really uh, creating a whole host of tensions around the world that have become uh, sort of ethnically focused on both sides? It really has erupted debates and, and protests and anger on both sides. How would you like to angle the conversation to be able to foster something more productive? I think that this is time to fight and to defend the people of Israel. And uh, I think 
whoever saw um, the fact that a thousand Israelis were killed in cold blood cannot speak now about both sides. There is one side here who's the side that wants freedom, democracy, cares about human rights, cares about people's life, which is the Israeli side, and there is the other side. This is good versus evil. We need to fight it. It's a terror organization recognized in the U.S. and in the U.K. And, you know, many people are comparing to 9-11. And I heard many people that are making uh, the equivalent numbers with the proportion. When you think about Israel as a tiny country, just 9 million people, it's actually 10 times of 9-11. This is the time to support Israel. The international community should understand that if Israel is not protected, then the whole Western civilization is not protected because those horrible things backed by Iran can happen everywhere. And you see they use that terminology, good versus evil, good guys, bad guys. And I understand the sentiment of a lot of people that want to put it in that narrative. And I would suggest, in my opinion, that we all hold off and reserve a conclusion to anything that's going on because right now, Everything's fresh and tons of propaganda is coming through from both sides. And I believe, because I'm anti-war to the core, 100%, I am not for any kind of war whatsoever. And I understand defending yourself. And that's the argument a lot of people have is, you know, people have to be able to defend themselves, which I agree with. But war always affects the working class, regular citizens. Women and children on both sides are the ones are getting harmed, no matter what's happening. And with all the bombing that's going on, I mean, there's war crimes that should be called out, you know. Then we see the news take, you know, take a hold of this. And what do they go off with first? Everybody, every news outlet, they play a classic. They go to a wartime classic, military industrial complex playbook move they always use that has been for centuries is to bring kids and you know women or these atrocities and what i want to discuss today is atrocity propaganda now atrocity propaganda has been used like i said for decades atrocity propaganda is the spreading of information about the crimes committed by an enemy which can be factual but often includes or features deliberate fabrication or exaggerations. This can involve photographs, videos, illustration, interviews, and other forms of information presented or reporting. Harold Lawswell says, So great are the physical restraints to war in modern nations, but that every war must appear to be a war of defense against a menacing, murderous aggressor. So this is a tactic that's been used like I said, for centuries. And we heard it right away in this conflict. Uh, The first news stories, here we go. David, it's hard to even explain exactly just the mass casualties that happened right here. In fact, the Israeli military says they still don't have a clear number, but I'm talking to some of the soldiers and they say what they've witnessed as they've been walking through these different houses, these different communities, uh, babies, their heads cut off. That's what they said gunned down families completely gunned down in their beds you can see some of these soldiers right now comforting each other many of them reserves uh, who jumped into action leaving their own families behind as well 
not knowing the sheer horror that they were about to come to. They say they've never experienced anything like this. This is nothing that anyone could have even imagined when you're walking through here. Baby cribs thrown to the side. And that's what we hear every time because that kind of language is going to give an emotional reaction to most human beings. If you know that babies are innocent babies that are being killed or innocent old people or women or any innocent civilian, it's going to pluck at the emotional heartstrings of the world. And that's what it did right away. It gave people these initial reactions. Here's Cuomo. You know, he thought he was gone, but he still has his own podcast and stuff. And he's calling out Hamas and he's calling out these atrocities. Nobody wants to see pictures of mutilated children. I promise you that. However, the reality should not be shied away because it's what's driving the understanding of this situation. People in America especially have a misguided connection between the plight of Palestinians, which is real, the suffering there, which is real and going on right now. People are dying in Gaza because of Israel's necessary retaliation. I'm sure kids are involved there too. Innocents are involved there too. You should be seeing the pictures to drive the intensity of the purpose here. And we have to remember that our urgency is on those who were captured, not hostages, not hostages. Hostages are people who are taken for security and they are negotiated. These people were captured, they're being mutilated, they're being brutalized in ways that very few people have seen in this region in a long, long time. And remember, it is on Hamas to counteract what I just said. It is on Hamas to come forward and say, no, we're holding them humanely because we want protection against what Israel is doing, because we want to negotiate, because we want to be taken seriously. This is on Hamas. Hamas loves to talk. They're putting out videos all over the internet of complete barbarism and savagery. They have said not one word about treating these people as human beings. And they have given us all the evidence and understanding that they are treating them worse than dogs. So the media, as usual, without any evidence, runs a lot of these stories and gets people all ramped up and pushes you to a side and tells you who the good guy is and tells you who the bad guy is. Now, obviously, both sides can be condemned for actions that they committed. Again, what Hamas did is not, should, should be, they should be held accountable. I understand wanting to hold them accountable, and that's a fair and reasonable thing to do. But that's not what's happening right now. Every Palestinian is being held accountable. And here's a little bit of Trump. I want to show Trump because, you know, I've always hearing people say, you know, hey, there was no wars under Trump. Um, Trump is the savior. Trump is the peacetime president, blah, 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 blah. But they don't talk about how he did amplify what is going on. They, now, people see it as peace, but the Abraham Accord that didn't acknowledge the Palestinians, that furthermore kept the Palestinians as lesser than humans, which a lot of people in the region consider them. And to me, what he says in this little uh, clip where he's talking about Israel, this is what we can expect. And this is the authoritarian Trump that I've seen from the get-go. And I think that when he gets in office, we're going to see more of it. The same people that raided Israel are pouring into our once beautiful USA 
through our totally open southern border at record numbers. These are the same people, many of them, that did a number in Israel, a sneak attack. Same people we have pouring into our country by the thousands. Are they planning to attack within our country? Crooked Joe Biden and his boss, Barack Hussein Obama, did this to us. We cannot let this happen. They may be planning something very, very bad. Don't forget, I'm not making this as a prediction, but there's a phrase out there. Trump was right about everything. We have to be very careful. I don't want to be right about this. But people are pouring in from the Middle East into our country, largely males, strong young males. What's going on over here? Are we going to be raided like Israel was raided? To me, that's fear-mongering. No different from any other politician. And I don't understand why he gets a pass. To me, this is more proof of the authoritarian that he is. And it's not just him. I'm not putting it all on him. He's just part of the problem. A piece, this puppet that's being put in place by different mafias or cult leaders, whatever we want to call it. Like, whoever's really running everything. And you can hear more of it. One of his stooges was on Hannity again pushing the narrative of these babies being beheaded. Joining us now, former National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien is with us. Um, when Bibi Netanyahu says that they will strike with a force that will be rem- remembered for generations, I've known Prime Minister Netanyahu now for almost three decades. Um, I'm uh, pretty much 100 percent certain he means what he says. When he says the Middle East will be reconfigured as a result of this, you know, evil attack on on their homeland, I believe he means it. What are your thoughts? Well, I know B.B. well also, uh, Sean, and I think he he means what he says. And look, he's got no choice. I mean, if anyone who wants to know that whether evil exists in the world, just needs to look at the top of your monologue and, and hear about the babies being killed. I mean, what kind of person goes house to house and beheads babies? And these aren't civilians who were killed collaterally in a, in a military attack. These, these were civilians who were wantonly slaughtered. This isn't war. This is barbarism. So again, another person from his administration, the swamp, is pushing this narrative of beheading babies. And not to just let uh, and put on Trump, but Biden as well. We had Biden also pushing this claim. It just came to basically, I really mean it from the bottom of my heart. I give you my word as a Biden. Thank you. Thank you for the intensity of your support. It matters. It matters that Americans see what's happening. I mean, I, I, I've been doing this a long time. I never really thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. I never thought I'd ever, anyway, I, uh, but there are countries in the region that are trying to be of some help, including Arab nations trying to be of some help. So, uh, anyway. You notice Biden's always lying when he's like, uh, anyways, uh, you know, this is what happened. He was pushing that same narrative. And right away, what do we get? We get a retraction. He didn't mean that. 
Now we have some latest updates coming in from the U.S. A White House spokesperson has given an official clarification as reported by U.S. media that neither President Joe Biden nor the White House administration has seen any pictures or verified any reports of children beheaded by Hamas. Earlier, during a roundtable with leaders from the Jewish community, Biden had mentioned seeing the confirmed pictures of militants beheading children. The official clarified, though, that the president's remarks were quote-unquote referring to public comments from media outlets and Israeli officials. Uh-oh, Spadurios. Yeah, so he was talking out his ass as usual, trying to hype the American people up, and even the Israeli officials says government cannot confirm babies were beheaded in Hamas attack. The Israel government has not confirmed the specific claim that Hamas attackers cut off the heads of babies during their shock attack on Saturday. An Israeli official told CNN conducting a previously public statement by prime minister officials. There have been cases of Hamas militants carrying out beheadings and other ISIS style atrocities. However, we cannot confirm if the victims were men or women, soldiers or civilians, adult or children, the official says. So people ran with this. They used it as like, hey, this is a talking point. Israel needs to fight back. Now, the attack itself and some of the other things that have gone, of course, those are, those are atrocities, right? Like, there's no need for that. Like, innocent people were killed and some political pissing match. And when we all know Hamas was created by the Israeli government and the United States government, just like ISIS, these factions are built up to either fight somebody or hold off a region. That's their whole purpose. And then they get compromised or allegedly wink on wink. They get compromised. We don't know exactly if they do or if they're still playing part of a game plan. And immediately for me, it made me think of all the stories that we hear over the years. And I wanted to play a clip real quick from James Corbett. He has a little clip um, from his World War I uh, conspiracy. Here's Richard Grove talking about another false atrocity from World War I that got America into the war. Babies on bayonets. The American population at that time had a lot of German people in it. 30 to 50 percent of the population had relations back to Germany. So there had to be this very clever propaganda campaign. It's known today as babies on bayonets. So if you have no interest in World War I, but you think it's interesting to study propaganda so you don't get fooled again, then type into your favorite search engine, babies on bayonets, World War I. You'll see hundreds of different posters where the Germans are bayonetting babies and it brings about emotions and it doesn't give you the details of anything and emotions drive wars, not facts. Facts are left out and deleted all the time in order to create wars. So I think that putting facts back in might help prevent wars. But I do know that they like to drive people on emotion. The babies on bayonets getting America into World War One. That's a key part of it. A key part of it. People got to remember that when we hear these things and they're debunked later on, like Assad gassing his people in Syria, that was proven by the UN and other people and countless news organizations talking about that was fake. That was a lie. The babies on bayonets where they used posters and they were talking about nuns being raped. Those were lies. Those were pushed to make emotional decisions. 
These are no different from what they did with COVID. No different than what they did with the Ukraine war. And no different than what they did for the uh, 1991 or was it 1990 Desert Storm. And here's a series of clips from 60 Minutes. This is like January 1992. It's summing up what happened and how we kind of got suckered in to this Desert Storm war. But what about the campaign to commit American troops to liberate Kuwait? To get Americans, perhaps any people, to support a war in a place millions barely heard of, certain buttons must be pressed. In the run-up to the Gulf War, one image, one presence touched American hearts and minds like no other. It was this 15-year-old Kuwaiti girl identified only as Nayira. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, my name is Nayira, and I just came out of Kuwait. While I was there, I saw the Iraqi soldiers come into the hospital with guns. They took the babies out of the incubators. Took the incubators and left the children to die on the cold floor. Very similar to what we're hearing. Those words are what led us into Desert Storm. And to go further into the 60 Minutes interview, it turns out it was false. And it wasn't just Amnesty International. The story did not hold up under repeated scrutiny by reporters and human rights investigators, including Andrew Whitley, executive director of the human rights group Middle East Watch. You went to investigate. Yes, we did. You went to Saudi. Mm-hmm. And then after the liberation of Kuwait, you went to Kuwait. Correct. What did you find? We went straight to the hospitals. We were particularly concerned with going to the maternity hospital at the Al-Saba complex. This is the largest hospital in the country. And it's a hospital that has perhaps a half to two thirds of all the incubators in the country. Did Iraqi soldiers remove babies from incubators in order to steal the incubators? No, they did not. Not at all. And what about the El Adan hospital that Naira talked about, where she said she saw babies removed from incubators? The Adan Hospital, my colleague, who is a native Arabic speaker, went along there and interviewed the doctors. And he was able to speak to people who said that they had been on duty at that time and that this incident didn't happen. But you're not trying to paint the Iraqis as being saintly soldiers. There Absolutely were atrocities. There were, there were very many atrocities. And the atrocities were largely committed by the secret police units. That happened? Yes, for sure. The babies and incubators? Did not. That did not happen. And who is Naira, right? People were wondering at the time, you know, I think more people were captivated by her testimony in front of Congress and or the Senate and just really felt that we needed to do something about it. The same way that they felt in World War I when they were talking about the Germans and babies and bayonets. But here in the last clip from the 60 Minutes, it's going to tell you who Naira really was. If it didn't happen, where did the story come from? We can't answer that. We can't tell you about Naira. She was no ordinary witness. She's a member of the Kuwaiti royal family, related to the Emir of Kuwait. And when she testified, her father was sitting close by. He's Sheikh Saud Nasir al-Sabah, Kuwait's ambassador to the United States. Naira lives with her family in Washington, D.C., her true identity was not revealed until John R. MacArthur, the publisher of Harper's Magazine, got suspicious and started sniffing around while working on a book called Second Front, 
about propaganda in the Gulf War. So I set out to try to find out, like any reporter does, and I started asking questions, and I finally heard a, a rumor that Naira was the daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador. So I used an old reporter's trick. I called up the uh, embassy, and I said, Naira did a terrific job at the Human Rights Caucus, and I think her father must be very proud of her. And uh, doesn't she deserve uh, her place in history? And the ambassador's secretary said to me, you're not supposed to know that. No one's supposed to know she's the ambassador's daughter. So that's why I say we should be cautious and not jump to conclusions of what's going on around the world because during these times of tragedy and destruction, propaganda is being ramped up. Because they want you to look at everything as good guy versus bad guy. Instead of really analyzing why this is happening. You don't have to give anybody a pass. Everybody should be held accountable for what they do. But you have to stay aware of the propaganda that they're trying to shove down our throats constantly. And it was disappointing to see a lot of the people that were, you know, aware of the COVID narrative that was bullshit. They are aware that the Ukraine-Russia conflict was bullshit because now it's called a conflict. A lot of reporters around have been saying, oh, the Ukrainian conflict, this is much different than this uh, Israel-Palestine war. Now, again, I know I'm a little late on a lot of this stuff, so I'm just kind of presenting all the evidence. I'm sure most of you have already heard a lot of this stuff. But here's another report from CNN about Israel Israel forming a wartime cabinet and emergency government. Live now to London where journalist Elliot Gotkin is following developments along with the horrific details of what took place in the kibbutz and the, the beheading of children. We also have the uh, formation of what is a wartime cabinet and an emergency government now bringing together a country which up until this point has been deeply divided. It's not just been deeply divided, John. It's probably been more divided than ever over the past nine months since the government of Prime Minister Netanyahu started trying to push forward with this judicial overhaul. But if there is one thing that uh, Hamas succeeded in doing, in addition to all of the carnage uh, and uh, that, that we've seen over the past few days and the killing of at least uh, 1,200 people inside of Israel, it is that it has succeeded in uniting not just the people of Israel, but also its sparring politicians. And so we saw yesterday Benny Gantz, no friend of Prime Minister Benny Benjamin Netanyahu, he's a former defense minister, former chief of the general staff, taking his national unity party into government to form this emergency government. He went before the cameras yesterday to say why he had done this and what Hamas had in store. We will fight this war to indicate to our enemies very clearly there will be hell to pay. And we promise to the people of Israel when we say never again, we mean it, never again. So that was interesting because they had a bunch of protests. Netanyahu has nothing but problems since he's been back as the prime minister. There's been a lot of protests over the way that they're running the government because how they have their judges. They want it to pretty much be non-democratic non-demo- uh, or of the people that the... Uh, bureaucrats and the judges will be able to decide a lot of things. I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that's 
basically what's going on over there. And now this has united them and this wartime emergency government has formed and they have pretty much unlimited powers. It reminded me a lot of what Bush inherited after 9-11. So they use these tragedies, whether amped up or let happen. We don't know all the details and facts yet. We're still rummaging through things and we will figure that out. That's why it's good to pause and really look in and be skeptical of all the things that are going on because they are definitely trying to trick us into thinking that one side is evil and it's okay for all these bombings and uh, innocent civilians to be killed. And one thing I'd like to play real quick, this is, uh, I think this is in the parliament of Ireland and they're speaking quotes from earlier this year of Israeli, Israeli this is officials. the Defense Minister, Moshe Yalon, uh, talking just a couple of weeks ago. Israel is going to hurt Lebanese civilians, to include kids of the family. We went through a very long discussion. We did it then. We did it in the Gaza Strip. We are going to do it in any round of hostilities in the future. That's the Defence Minister. Uh, this is the uh, uh, Military Chief of Staff, Benny Gantz. The next round of violence will be worse and see this suffering increase. He headed up the military assaults uh, on Gaza, the last uh, two. This is the Minister for Education in the Netanyahu government. There will never be a peace plan with the Palestinians. I will do everything in my power to make sure they never get a state. He also said, if you catch terrorists, you simply have to kill them. I've killed a lot of Arabs in my life and there's no problem with that. Uh, this is the Minister for Justice. Palestinians are all enemy combatants. This also includes the, mother, the mothers of the martyrs. They should follow their sons. Nothing would be more just. They should go, as should the physical homes in which they, are, which they raised the snakes. Otherwise, more little snakes will be raised there. That's the Israeli Minister for Justice in the last few months. The Israeli Minister for, uh, Deputy Minister for Defense. Palestinians are beasts. They are not human. Uh, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, C.P. Hotley, this is the last one. My position is that between the sea and the Jordan River, there needs to be one state only, the state of Israel. There is no place for any agreement of any kind that discusses the concession of Israeli sovereignty over lands conquered in 1967. Now, these are the official statements of several ministers of the current government of Israel. In one case, actually advocating genocide of all Palestinians, including children, and calling them snakes. Now, can I ask you, Taoiseach, uh, do you not think that if we're defining terrorism, that is the language and thinking of terrorists? And I got to agree with them. These are government officials. And we all know that governments cause war. Civilians around the world, working class people in every country do not want war. Now, they could be amped up to want war or want revenge because you feel attacked. It's like if somebody attacks your family member and when you feel love for your state and the people around you, you may see them as some kinfolk or, or related to and that that gets your emotional strings all wound up and then especially with all the reports of 
babies being beheaded, which was retracted from the reporter that said it. And she said, oh, well, I kind of just heard it from some soldiers. No verification whatsoever. And you got to see that what's happening to the Palestinians is just as horrible because it's not Hamas that's being, you know, wiped out. The bombs, the carpet bombing, uh, this is 2 million people like in this little open air jail that have been there for decades. They've been going back and forth. They consider them less than human. They consider them savages. There's been other people that have talked about it and said, hey, these, these are nothing but savages and these kids will grow up to be terrorists. That is no way to find peace. But as we know, most governments do not want to find peace. And here's a little piece. Uh, I think this was maybe on Al Jazeera and Palestinian workers in limbo. Well, hundreds of Palestinian workers from Gaza are stranded after they were dismissed from their jobs in Israel. They were left at the checkpoints near the occupied West Bank on Saturday and are unable to return to their homes. Imran Khan reports from Ramallah. Cut off from their homes, this has become a makeshift home for some Palestinians from the Gaza Strip. It was a local government building designed for sports and arts. It's now a camp for displaced people. There isn't a person here whose family hasn't been touched by this war. My brothers and cousins called me and told me my son was injured. A few hours later they called again and told me he was killed. I want to go see him. His mother is in Egypt for medical treatment. She's stuck there and I'm stuck here. He will be buried and I won't see him. My other two children are sheltering in schools alone. Others tell us they've lost multiple members of their families and most don't know if they'll have a home to return to. These men were employed under an agreement Israel made with the Gaza Labour Ministry, which allowed a set number of people to work in Israel. It was a good deal for Israel. Businesses got cheap labour and could circumvent labour laws. The Israeli government could say it was doing something to help Gaza. But on Saturday, employers acting on Israeli police instructions were told to take them to checkpoints at the occupied West Bank. Before that happened, we are told some were interrogated and assaulted by the Israeli security services, a claim we cannot confirm. The influx has taken the Palestinian authorities by surprise, and they're woefully unprepared. We need to maintain the health factor very importantly in this location. We are talking about, as we speak, 550. This number might just rise to 700 or maybe 1,000 because people are keep, they are keeping pouring once they are discovered inside Israel, handed over to the Israeli military, and they, they are just simply left after being beaten and humiliated on the checkpoints to find their way to these to this shelters. And the Palestinians were told to go to Egypt. Right. They said that the, after seven days of bombing, bombing the hell out of them, killing countless people, countless civilians. These are not all Hamas terrorists like the news and Mockingbird media would love you to believe. This is innocent civilians, working class people, children and women being bombed and killed. And they only want to blame, you know, the Hamas. And I think Hamas is as well just as guilty. And do I think that they're uh, protecting their people? I don't know. I don't think so. I think they don't care if they have civilian casualties on either side. But neither do the uh, Israelis. The Israelis think the same way. And you've seen a lot of this. And here's some free press TV and Israel's response, a massacre. Meanwhile, the Turkish president says that Israel is committing a massacre. One city. 
cutting off the city's water, electricity, entry and exits, collapsing its infrastructure, destroying all of its centers of worship from mosques to churches, as well as their schools, preventing people from getting the most fundamental needs and bombing housing units where civilians reside. In other words, managing a conflict using every sort of embarrassing method is not a wall, it is a massacre. And it has been a massacre. So far today, they said like 4,200 people killed and over 1 million people displaced in just 10 days. And large areas in Gaza Strip reduced to rubble. We have great fears about the toll of civilians in the coming days. And a lot of these were women and children. Because they weren't just targeting. You can't just go in there and, you know, if it was strategical targeting where you're looking for bases and they use the old, well, they're using human shields, right? It's, it's not our fault. We got to go in there and Israel has to defend itself. Defending itself is not killing innocent civilians. I'll say it time and time again. And there's plenty of people on the other side of the aisle that are cheering this on that are like, Hey, they got to do what they got to do. And if they wipe them all out, they wipe them all out. I find it funny because a lot of these people that were talking about climate change, you know, I'm talking about the government people and climate change, you know, displacing people in the coming years, yet they have no problem displacing over a million people. And when they told them to go to Egypt, they started going headed to Egypt. A lot of the people, they bombed there too. They've killed 11 UN uh, officials or not officials, maybe like soldiers in the bombings. There's been hostages killed by Israeli bombings. There has been like, I think 140 children killed in these bombings, maybe more. Um, the numbers are still coming in. And then there is false reports. There was this whole back and forth about the hospital that Israel bombed the hospital. And the reason a lot of us believe that Israel, even though they had said, no, it was Hamas that shot a rocket that went the wrong way. The reason a lot of people were invested in saying, yeah, Israel probably did do it because they were sending leaflets over and they were talking about, they were going to bomb these hospitals that they targeted them as Hamas bases and, and strategical points where they're hiding out at. Now it looks like from reports, which I still don't know, it's hard to confirm a lot of this. So the reports now are saying basically that it was not the actual hospital, but parking lots around it. People did get killed. And then it's still up for debate on who did it. You know what I mean? Who was it? Hamas, a uh, rocket gone rogue. We don't know. But when you're hearing these same people that we always hear that are talking about climate change, that are talking about Ukraine war, that are talking about COVID lockdowns, that are pushing these narratives of authoritarianism onto us, we got to pay attention because these people are the same people with 9-11, the same people that like were pushing for the Iraq war. There's George W. Bush and his thoughts on what's going on in Israel. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's going to be chaotic and it's going to be look, it's a democracy. And in a democracy, the people's voices matter and there's going to be a weariness. You watch the world's going to be OK, let's negotiate. You know, Israel's got to negotiate. They're not going to negotiate. These people have played, played their cards. They want to kill as many Israelis as they can. And negotiating with killers is not a, an option for the elected government of Israel. And so we're just going to have to remain steadfast, but it's not going to take long 
for people. That's gone on too long. Surely there's a way to settle this through negotiations. Both sides are guilty. My view is one side is guilty, and it's not Israel. You heard it right there. The same man that was talking about weapons of mass destruction is talking about there is no two sides. There's only one side. And it goes back to the Israeli officials talking about dehumanizing Palestinians and not seeing them as human beings, seeing them less than human beings. And all the fear mongers are out. You know, everybody was out there yelling and screaming like, hey, this we got to do this. We got to do that. Like, you got to understand Israel has to be able to defend itself. And that's not even what people are really talking about. Like when you're saying, hey, there's atrocities on both sides, that doesn't mean that you're, you're overlooking what happened to the Israelis. Those were innocent people as well. I mean, we hear a lot of that Westerners and Americans are in Israel, but there's also a lot of Westerners and Americans in Palestine. How come we don't hear that in the media that much? Because it doesn't fit. The narrative. The narrative is everything. And then we have Ben Shapiro, this little midget gnome. This guy to me gets so annoying because he's the first person that was up in arms against the BLM movement. And he says that they use all this uh, woke stuff and identity politics to push narratives. And then he uses identity politics to push a narrative. And he is the fear monger of the week. In my opinion, because everything that he had to say in this little minute clip is nothing more than propaganda and pushing for devastation and and making it okay, giving them a free pass and calling for more action and more war. He want he's bloodthirsty. So the real risk for Israel in not finishing off Hamas right now is that this is taken as a sign of weakness, as it certainly would be, by Hezbollah. Hezbollah is a far more dangerous terrorist group than Hamas. Hamas is a dangerous terrorist group. They just proved it by killing 1,300 Jews. Hezbollah currently has over 100,000 highly sophisticated rockets aimed directly at the north of Israel. Estimates suggest that were Hezbollah to fire all of those rockets, we wouldn't be talking about 1,300 dead Jews. You'd be talking about somewhere between 20 and 30,000 dead Jews, day one. If Hezbollah gets in, Israel will have no choice but to unleash the Air Force. If they unleash the Air Force, they're not going to be worried at that point about civilian casualties at all. They're simply going to have to eviscerate the entire south of Lebanon and topple the regime in Lebanon that supports Hezbollah. If that happens, Iran undoubtedly gets in and so does Syria. If that happens... And Israel is now faced with a with a full war in the north combined with a war in the south because they will not have defeated Hamas. That's the predicate. If Israel is forced to the wall, the possibility of nuclear exchange is extremely high. That is why it is very important that the United States provide the material aid to Israel. So all these right leaning influencers, reporters, talking heads that were against wars that were talking about, hey, is Ukraine the 51st state? Is Israel the 52nd state? Why are we funding them as the, uh, the same way that we're doing Ukraine? But the Warhawks were out. And that gets us back into an old clip, I think from 2007, Democracy Now!, the West Clark 7. It seems like it all boils down to that. So here's a little Wesley Clark, what he had to say after 9-11 in the countries that they wanted to invade. About 10 days after 9-11, I went through the Pentagon and... I saw Secretary Rumsfeld and, and Deputy Secretary Wolfowitz. I went downstairs just to say hello to some of the people on the joint staff who had used, used to work for me. And one of the generals called me in. He said, sir, you got a 
come in, you got to come in and talk to me a second. I said, well, you're too busy. He said, no, no. He says, we've made the decision we're going to war with Iraq. This was on or about the 20th of September. I said, we're going to war with Iraq. Why? He said, I don't know. <laughs> he said, I guess they don't know what else to do. So uh, I said, well, did they find some information collect connecting Saddam to al-Qaeda? He said, no, no. He says, there's nothing new that way. They just made the decision to go to war with Iraq. He said, I guess it's like we don't know what to do about terrorists, but we've got a good military and we can take down governments. And um, he said, I guess if, if the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem has to look like a nail. So I came back to see him a few weeks later. And by that time, we were bombing in Afghanistan. I said, are we still going to war with Iraq? And he said, oh, it's worse than that. He said, he reached over on his desk, he picked up a piece of paper, and he said, I just, he said, I just got this down from upstairs, meaning the Secretary of Defense office today, and he said, this is a memo that describes how we're going to take out seven countries in five years, starting with Iraq and then Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and finishing off Iran. Finishing off with Iran, right? Just like Shapiro was talking about, he was talking about how there may be two wars, and it seems they're setting that up as well because Israel bombed South Lebanon after Hezbollah rocket fire. Israel shelling hit southern Le Lebanese town on Wednesday in response to a fresh rocket attack by powerful armed group Hezbollah, a cross-border violence extended into a fourth day. Hezbollah said it had fired precision missiles at an Israeli position in response to killing of its members in Israel shelling earlier this week, pledging decisive response to attacks on Lebanese territories, especially deadly ones. So now they're giving us this whole ultimatum of like, if we don't help, if we don't put boots on the ground, if we don't give support to Israel, that we may have, you know, one of those faking gay uh, uh, nuclear attacks, whether they're real or not. But that fear is captivating people. And one of the top war hawks was out everywhere. I got two clips of Lady G. Just pathetic. It's peak, peak clown world. Peak clown world. I mean, he, he is bloodthirsty and he is trying to provoke something. Moss in the last hour announcing it's going to begin to execute hostages and post video evidence online for every Israeli airstrike. Your thoughts on this moment, Senator? Well, for every Israeli or American hostage executed uh, by Hamas, we should uh, take down an Iranian oil refinery. The only way you're going to keep this war from escalating is to hold Iran accountable. How much more death and destruction do we have to take from the Iranian regime? I am confident this was planned and funded by the Iranians. Hamas is a bunch of animals uh, who deserve to be treated like animals. So if I was Israel, I would go in on the ground. There is no truce to be had here. I would dismantle Hamas. This is the best opportunity Israel has to destroy Hamas. Take it to the Iranians. If you harm one American in Syria by using your Iranian militia against us in Syria, if you escalate the war by urging Hezbollah to attack Israel in the north, if Hamas kills one American or Israeli hostage, we're going to blow up your oil refineries and put you out of business. It is now time to take the war to the Ayatollah's backyard.
And what did Wesley Clark say one of those seven countries were? Iran. The same way when we went into Afghanistan to find Al-Qaeda, even though all the 9-11 hijackers were tied to Saudi Arabia, we went into Iraq and weapons of mass destruction. We're hearing same kind of narrative. And here's Lady G again, screaming at the top of his lungs, wanting to bomb Iran. He's a little bit talking about Hamas, but he's focused, hyper-focused on Iran. What I would do is I would bomb Iran's oil infrastructure. The money financing terrorism comes from Iran. It's time for this terrorist state to pay a price for financing and supporting all this chaos. Yes, if you're the Iranians, if we're up to me, this war escalates. I'm coming after you. I think this is what I'm trying to clarify here because I... I'm wondering us in Israel, us in Israel, us, the United States and no, no, Israel. I be crystal clear. The United. So let me A just let me just um, let me just understand yeah, you. Yes, just sorry. to be clear, you're saying yeah. that you would want the United States and Israel to bomb Iran, even in the absence you of direct it. evidence of their involvement in this yeah. attack. Uh, yeah. So if there's an escalation, Abby, if there's people's throats being cut on television as Israel goes into Gaza and they're threatening to kill the hostages, if Hezbollah is unleashed on Israel in the north, it will be because Iran is supporting that. If you don't get the connection between Iran and this terrorist activity by Hamas and Hezbollah, you're missing a lot. This is a terrorist state that has American blood on its hands. It is now time to dismantle the financing system of terrorism if this war escalates. Yes, I would do a joint military operation. I tell the Iranians today, if the war escalates, you will pay a price. You will be out of the oil business. I want to be crystal clear on that. And if we don't do that, what do you expect to happen in the future? Do you expect Israel to forgive and forget? Biden didn't mention one word about Iran today, and I want to support the president. I'm supporting the Saudi-Israel peace deal. Israel made peace with several Arab countries through the Abraham Accords. I want to help the Palestinians we can do business with as part of a Saudi-Israel peace deal. But I'm tired of letting Iran, I think they did this to stop the Saudi-Arab peace negotiations, the Iranians. I don't want to reward them. I want to punish them. And he wants to punish them. He wants more war. The same guy that was advocating for the Ukraine war and pushing and pushing, you know, the John McCain-esque, you know, that era. I think they were good buddy buddies. And you can hear with everything that he's saying that he's trying to push for more war and put it all the blame on Iran, which is part of the s- seven countries that Wesley Clark talked about back in 2007. The plan that they had after 9-11, that they had several Middle East countries that they wanted to go into. It, it's the same thing. So I think people have to recognize that. And that's my piece on it pretty much because I'm not here to advocate for either side. I think I'm team human all the way. And to see innocent people die on either side is tragic. We shouldn't be cheering on either. We should be trying to find ways of peace and diplomacy, but we don't. Instead, we want carpet bombing and shock and awe type of events that just kill and displace people. 
Because even when you tell people they can go to these camps or go to Egypt, which they were bombing them, when they told them to go there, after the leaflets and everything, women and children didn't matter. They also never get their home back. This whole thing to me is to get to Iran. I think this has been the proxy war they've wanted for a while. I thought it was going to happen much sooner, but it hasn't developed until now. They went with the Ukrainian Russia first, and now they're going here. And I think they're building onto it so that they can have us all full of fear. As I played with that Trump clip, he was also fear-mongering, telling us that these terrorists are over here. We saw the terror alert in France go up and in other countries. And I'm sure we'll see it come back here and in the next year or so, maybe during the uh, 2024, not election, but leading up to the election, I'm sure there will be another huge event or pretty big event that is to sway the American people and bring this terrorist word back into our lexicon so that they can fear monger us. You know, and I hope that everybody kind of like listens to these clips and it resonates with you that this is bullshit. Like they are trying to get us into another war. It's no different from the Ukrainian war. And I'm not saying that people aren't getting killed because people are. But let's put our emotions aside and really look through the facts. Um, I'm going to keep digging through this story as it goes. I got some other stuff on the Maui fire updates coming up. Uh, I'm going to do a couple lives next week. Uh, we got some good people coming in. I got a special coming up around Halloween with our good friend Chaz of the Dead. He's got some interesting stories and going to keep hitting it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I appreciate everybody that's been listening the whole time and leaving those five star reviews. But let me play one more clip before we get out of here because I can't leave it on some, you know horrible tragedy stuff you know me i have to play a little bit of humor and with that humor i wanted to show you shrub's greatest hits volume 15 let's go you heard klausy mcschwab's first two records back scenes back all night you know nothing and be happy but this one is gonna make your modified mrna tingle time lies presents Greatest Schwab's, Volume 15. A new world order in music. One, two, three, four, five. All the unvaccinated are still alive. A little bit of Pfizer in my arm. A little bit of BioNTech does no harm. A little Johnson Johnson does the trick. A little AstraZeneca so you don't get sick. It's booster number five. Let's talk about Rex, baby. Let's talk about Doc Fauci. Let's talk about all the weird and countless side effects, maybe. Let's talk about Rex. Let's talk about Rex a little, little, little. Come and take the seventh shot, the seventh shot. With a little luck, you get my, 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 oh! My, 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 You won't have to be rich. With CBDC, you'll have all you need with central currency. We just take your extra belts and your cash. And you can walk 500 steps, but not a single step. Have more until the 
curfew activates and robot cops stand at your door. Just a small town boy drinking, genetically modified soy. This ensures he doesn't co-create. Please stop the bleeding. Stop the bleeding. We are almost nine billion people. Please stop believing right now. <laughs> you can follow them at SnickLink. Um, I have it up on the Instagram. Go to their page. They got some really funny stuff. But don't forget to go to killthemockingbirds.com to check out all the podcasts. They're all there, ready to go. Just in case that they nuke us at some point from the major platforms. And you can always go to a new podcasting 2.0 app and, uh, you know, kind of diversify and let's uh, push away from the system. Go check out my music, Sean Chris, on all music streaming platforms. And we're going to get out on this song, my song, Sean Chris, featuring King Mega. It's called Own Nothing, Be Happy. You know how we do it here. Wake the fuck up or get woke the fuck up. Alphabetic agency 
policies manipulate the human population with propaganda. It's time for the working class to unite, get strapped up and locked and loaded. We ain't giving a fuck about body trumping on these bitch-ass motherfuckers. It's the state against the people, not me versus you. Locked and loaded. Bye.